Good morning. morning. Welcome to the Bay Area Church of Christ. I'm excited to get to speak to you this morning. I'm excited to see all of you to be able to bring the word of the Lord. It's a great blessing. God placed some thoughts, some ideas on my heart a few weeks ago. And I'm glad I get to share them with you this morning. I want to start with a bit of interaction, if you will. Are you guys up for some interaction? Okay, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I'm going to start with a bit of interaction this morning, and my question for you is how many of you had a favorite subject in school? Show of hands, favorite subject. Favorite subject. Let me, let me hear some of them. What were your favorite subjects in school? Okay, I heard biology. I hear reading. I hear math. Did somebody say recess? You said recess. All right. That's all right. Mitchell, what you got? Recess also for Mitchell. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Art? Okay, give me a couple more. You said lunch. That is not a subject, but okay. Yes, ma'am. English. Mm, we'll talk about you in a little bit. All right. Science. Music, history. Okay, how about this? Let's shift gears just a little bit. How many of you had a least favorite subject? Show of hands, show of hands. IT, what's your least favorite? Math. Math. Okay, I'm thinking I'm going to get a lot of repeats. Yes, ma'am. Science Science for you, Mitchell. Math. Math. (laughs) Somebody said PE. Okay, okay, no problem. Give me a couple more. Give me just two more. All right, I heard statistics. And did you say psychology? Psychology. Okay, I can understand that. Where's my clicker? There we go. I left it. Thank you. All right, so growing up, I had a favorite subject in class. In school, almost anything to do with science was my favorite subject. Biology, chemistry, all of these things really, really interest me. I also had a least favorite subject growing up, and that was English. Anything to do with English, whether it be literature, whether it be grammar, anything creative. I did not like it. I hated it. All of the reading assignments, I tried to avoid them. I spent so much time and energy trying to avoid doing the work that if I just done the assignment, it would have been over so much quicker. But I developed an unhealthy disdain for the English language. Unhealthy, I admit that. I recognize it is not healthy. But all that time reading stuff I didn't want to read, doing grammar exercises, I did manage to learn a few things. And I learned that words are important. Words are important. Using the right word at the right time can mean the difference between effective communication and complete misunderstanding. Words matter. We have a few brothers in this congregation who are really blessed with the gift of being able to use their words to effectively communicate. 
Two brothers in particular that I want to talk about just a bit this morning is my brother I.T. Antigua, my brother Robbie John. These are some of the most eloquent brothers I've ever met. They really have a way with words. Whether it be teaching, preaching, performing a spoken word poem, they use the words that God has given them to not only communicate, but evoke a response from deep down in the soul. You guys know what I'm talking about? Really blessed, really, really gifted brothers. And so one of the things that kind of stuck with me is a few weeks ago, Tim preached a sermon. And right after the sermon, Robbie did a spoken word poem. And in the poem, he repeated again and again in the refrain. I'm not in it for the wordplay, wordplay. I just want to do what the Lord say. I want to do what the word say, I believe, is, is how he actually phrased it. And so. That has been in my mind over and over again since he did that. And it's been something to where I thought I started writing some notes and the next thing you know, I get asked to preach a sermon. And so I entitled this sermon Wordplay. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not going to try and perform a spoken word poem for you this morning. That is not my gift. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm just going to preach the word. Is that all right? OK, that's what we're going to do. So speaking of word, I want to start at the very beginning. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. Now, we can't talk about the word of God without reminding you that you need to have the word of God. So make sure you have your Bibles this morning. Because you will need them. When you look at Genesis chapter one, we read about how God created the heavens and the earth. We look at verses three, six. 9, 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, we start to see a pattern emerge. And the pattern is that God said it, and it was so. Whatever God said is what happened. He said, let there be light. Let there be a firmament. Let the earth bring forth grass, then each and every time God said it, and it was so. God's word created reality. God's word defines reality. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later. We're going to go into it in a little bit more detail, but the word of God defines reality. So God spoke the universe into existence. I really like that. Our universe is voice activated. How many of you have some voice activated devices? Your smartphone, you got, you got uh, different appliances, whether it be Apple's uh, Siri, Google Home, Amazon Alexa, all of these voice activated devices. It's kind of cool when you can just say it and it just happens, right? That's pretty interesting technology. We didn't have that growing up, but we had something similar. We had similar voice activated devices in my home. Now, don't get ahead of me because you know where I'm going. We had voice activated devices when I was growing up. The TV was voice activated. My family would say, turn to channel three. TV would turn to channel three. If the volume was too loud, my family would say, turn the volume down. The volume would go down. 
voice activated devices in my home. Now they didn't need a remote control and they didn't need a smartphone because as the youngest one in my family, I was the remote control. Voice activated. I heard them. I did what they told me. Voice activated. You know, as I said before, our universe is voice activated. It hears and it obeys its creator. Do you remember when Jesus calmed the storm? Let's look over at Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through 41 is what I would like to draw your attention to this morning. Starting in verse 35, the Bible says that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took them along just. I'm sorry. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped them. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I find the story very interesting. And I don't know if this was a naturally occurring storm, if there was something supernatural going on. But I do know that Jesus was the only one that was asleep. Everyone around him is panicking. Everyone around him is terrified. But Jesus is completely at peace. Now they wake him up and they say, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. Now, what does it mean to rebuke? I looked up the word. It means to criticize sharply or to reprimand. I actually looked that up. But if I'm honest with you this morning, I really didn't need to look that up. I know a little something about being rebuked. I got practice in being rebuked. It's something that I experienced often was being rebuked. I go spend time with my granddad. He would start his rebuke with. Now, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> Sometimes he'd carry on after that, but often that's all he needed to say. He just look at me. Mm -mm. You know, you're wrong. When I do something, my mother would rebuke me. She used a lot more words. <laughs> it would often start with, now you know good and well. You ain't got no business doing that over there. It often started that way. Now you know good and well. You ain't got no business doing whatever it is that you're doing. She'd fill in the blanks, and then she'd end it sometime with, now go somewhere and sit down. Jesus doesn't do that. Can you imagine if Jesus actually rebuked the wind and the waves that way? You know good well you ain't got no business. 
You know, that's not even proper English. I learned that much, too, by the way. That's not proper grammar. Using the word ain't, double negatives, mm-mm. Mom, that's not proper grammar. Now, you know I didn't tell her that. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be here to preach that sermon to you. But that's not proper grammar. Jesus didn't use those words. But we read in verse 39 that Jesus said, quiet, be still. And how do they respond? Just like in the book of Genesis. Ain't nothing changed. God said, let there be, and it was. Now you realize, of course, that I just used the word ain't, and I already talked about that not being proper grammar, but it's good theology. It's bad grammar, but it's good theology. Let's look at some other examples of some possible uses of bad grammar. I want to draw your attention back to the Old Testament once again. I want to remind you of the time when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. Everybody remember that? All right. So Moses is talking to the Lord. The bush is on fire and God is telling Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to deliver a message to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who is holding my people as slaves. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. Now, Moses doesn't want to go. He's reluctant. He starts making up all these excuses. And so in Exodus chapter three, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. See, I told you that's 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 bad grammar. Moses asked for a name and God gave him a sentence. He says, I am. That's a complete sentence all by itself. What kind of name is that? He says, I am who I am. Again, a complete sentence. Some of you may have a footnote in your Bible that says, I will be who I will be. That's a complete thought all by itself. You may also notice in your Bible, verse 15, the word Lord is in all caps, small caps. What's going on? This is on purpose. There's a special name for the Lord that's being used here. Some refer to it as the Tetragrammaton. In Latin, it's spelled Y-H-W-H. We pronounce that Yahweh. We don't know how they pronounced it because they didn't pronounce it. They said this name is too holy. We will not use this name. We will not speak it. So we don't know exactly how it sounded because they didn't pronounce it. Hmm. But God says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Moses, this is the name you are to use as you deliver the message to Pharaoh to let my people go. 
The name Yahweh says that God is eternal. It says that God is all sufficient. He was before the beginning. He was then. He is now. And he will be forevermore. Something powerful about that name. God is complete. Totally sufficient and yet familiar. He says, I'm the God of your fathers. It's as if he's saying, I'm the God you might have heard of. The God you've been praying to. That's who I am. He tells Moses, use this name. He tells the people, this will be my name forever. But they don't use the name. Over time, as people begin to come up with other names to refer to the Lord, other names to describe the Lord. Why? Wordplay, perhaps. It got so bad that when we get to the New Testament and we start looking at John chapter eight, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees and they're going back and forth. And Jesus is giving testimony about himself and he's trying to explain to them who he is. So in John chapter eight, verse 51, we have already read that the Pharisees are claiming that Jesus is a Samaritan and that he's demon possessed. They're saying you're not even a legitimate Israelite and you're out of your mind. Let's pick it up in verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my words will never see death. At this, they exclaim, now we know you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your words will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Can you imagine that question? Who do you think you are? Take a minute and let that sink in. They just asked Jesus, who do you think you are? But they're not ready for the answer. I got the rest of it up here for you. In verse 54, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, they said, and you've seen Abraham? Catch this. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. Did you catch what Jesus just did? Did you catch that? Because Jesus just used the same name that God used in the book of Exodus when he's speaking to Moses from that burning bush. The same name. This name was so holy. This word was so special, they wouldn't even use it. And Jesus comes along, he says, I am that word. Jesus says, I am. He is telling them, I am the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I'm the one who sent Moses to deliver the people from Egypt. I'm the one you've been making sacrifices to this whole time. I'm the one you've been claiming that you've been worshiping. That's me. 
I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And I'm the God of Jacob. You know, that would be blasphemy. If it wasn't true. And that's why they picked up the stones. They said, wait a minute, this is blasphemy. The same person where they said, you know what, this guy's a Samaritan and he's demon possessed. Jesus says, I am. Who do you think you are? Really? I'll tell you. I'll tell you who I think I am. Is he a Samaritan? Nope. Demon possessed? That's not even possible. What is he? How about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God in the flesh, Jesus the Christ. Amen? They need to put some respect on that name. This is who Jesus is. But they were just in it for the wordplay. They didn't really want to do what the word said. And you know, that was a terrible mistake. Instead of worshiping the one true God the way they were meant to, they tried to stone him. This is how those people responded, but enough about them. I mean, that was a long time ago, right? Enough about them. Let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about me. Because when they were presented with the word of God, they had some options. They had some choices to make. And this morning, you got some choices to make, too. What are you going to do with this word of God? The way I see it, you got three choices. Let's go over them. Choice number one. After hearing this, you could just walk away. You're here this morning. You've heard some of the words of God. and You say, eh, maybe you'll just walk away. That's what some people did in John chapter 6. Jesus starts this teaching that they had a hard time accepting. He started talking about how his body was bread and his blood was drink, and They had it to eat and drink of his body and his blood. And they said, this is a this is a hard teaching. I don't know about this. And so in John chapter six, verse 60, it says, who can accept this? In verse 66, we read from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. They turned away when the teaching became too difficult. And so I ask you this morning, what are you going to do? Are you only going to follow the Lord when it's convenient, but then turn away when it's too difficult? There's a second choice. And that choice is to just go through the motions. Now, there's some people who heard the word of the Lord and they wanted to look the part. They were just pretending. And so I ask you. Are you pretending? Did you come here this morning pretending? You know that won't work. Pretending you, you look good, people think you're doing the right thing, but 
ultimately you're just a hypocrite. Those are, those are hard words sometimes to say. But this idea of being a hypocrite is one that we read about in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Hypocrisy. Going through the motions just won't work. It won't get you there. What you want is salvation. What you want is to go to heaven. But being a hypocrite, it won't work. We also read Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Going through the motions is never going to work. Which brings us to our third option. You can simply obey the word. You can hear the word and do what it says. It's pretty simple when you think about it. Let's look again at John chapter 6. When people begin to leave due to hearing this difficult teaching, Jesus asked his apostles a question. We'll look at John chapter 6. We'll look at verse 67. Jesus says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, when Jesus asked this question, I can't think of a better answer. Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that's where I want to encourage you to be this morning. You need to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Some of you are already there, but some of you need to get there. You need to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Some people think they can do this on their own. Some people think that if I'm just a good person, everything will work out. That's just not what the Bible says. You don't get to make up your own path of salvation. You don't get to define your own reality. Remember I told you we're going to come back to this point? God's word defines reality. But some people say, well, I believe that if I follow my own path, everything will be okay. But it just doesn't work that way. Here we read in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. So you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision. What are you going to do with the words of Jesus? This can make some people uncomfortable, but I encourage you to realize that you're only uncomfortable if you're not doing what he says. John chapter 12, verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Now, some of you may not want to hear that. But the truth is the truth. Regardless if you want to hear it or not. And so as we get into this word, as we look at what the Bible tells us to do, I implore you to be obedient. 
to do what God has called you to do. Some of you already know this. Some of you are already doing this, but I'm afraid some of you, some of you are pretending. Some of you are going through the motions, but God knows your heart. Now, some of you have never heard all this stuff before. Maybe it's new to you. And for you, I encourage you to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You need to make him Lord of your life. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, repent and be baptized. That might sound foreign to you. If it does, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to make this make sense to you. Basically, what I'm saying is, I invite you to get into that boat with Jesus. Because there are storms that are going to come in your life and you cannot withstand them on your own. So get into the boat with Jesus. So when those storms come, his words rebuke the wind and the waves and they obey him. They have always obeyed him. They will always obey him. But what about you? Will you obey him? If there's anything that we can do as a congregation to help you get closer to the Lord, to encourage you, if you have prayer requests, if you have any needs, please join us down front as we stand and sing.